Shall we uh, continue on together? It is good to see all of you. Happy New Year. If you were not here last week and you missed my Happy New Year, Happy New Year again to you. Uh, if you want, you can say Happy New Year to me. That's, you're allowed to do that. There we go. See, there's a little bit of, bit of fun and games. If you're brand new here, welcome. I uh, appreciate we are kind of bursting out of the cafe, which is exciting. If you're not aware, we are basically kind of on a bit of a watching brief. Uh, as of today, the Rose Theatre are putting seats into the um, what was the pit space. Uh, so they're doing that for the next few weeks, which is why we have to be in here. We'll then go back in, and we'll just kind of see how it works for us. There'll be some different changes in there. Um, so change is uh, afoot, as is often the case in King's Church. We'll be in here for a bit. We'll go in there and we'll see what God does with us. Okay, um, We are next week starting our main teaching series of the term, which will be in the book of 1 John, kind of more of an expositional series, if you like that kind of phrase. So do be uh, reading through 1 John this week. It's just five chapters and you will love it and we'll be kicking off that next Sunday. But this Sunday and last Sunday, we're spending two weeks looking at the issue of busyness. And I would go as far to say that as a church family, we cannot fulfill our vision without understanding and probably changing how we manage business. I think it's that important. We cannot be a community that genuinely grow in knowing God, knowing and loving each other, and making God known unless we genuinely address business. I do think it's that important to us uh, as a church family. There's a little image here that I showed uh, last week that I think many of us could begin to resonate with, that when it comes to the issue of busyness, many of us, I know I often do, I did this week rather pertinently, we kind of feel like that the suitcase of life at times is bursting open. We're cramming it with so many things. We're putting uh, work and family and exercise and bills and church and people's demands and requests of us and the desires that we have and we're cramming them all into the suitcase of life and maybe your suitcase just closes nicely and off you go very smoothly, but mine often feels like it's kind of bursting open and I can't fit everything in. Or if we can fit everything in, if we can juggle all of those things, I want to ask you, at what cost does that take place? At what cost to you, at what cost to those closest to you, are we able to juggle and manage the pace and the hecticness with which many of us live life? If you ask somebody the classic question, how are you? Often people will respond with something like, yeah, pretty good, busy. How's work? Busy. When was the last time you said to them, how's work? And they went, not very busy at the moment. Just incredibly calm and quiet and peaceful. It's just easy. I'm actually, I might drop a day a week. No one says that. People often say they're feeling busy. The suitcase is bursting open. And last week, we said we could launch into, given that it's New Year, we could launch into loads of things that we're going to do differently. But the danger of launching into doing is that we miss what's beneath our busyness. We miss what it is that we're believing, what's actually underneath. And of course, our core beliefs drive what we do, right? So we needed last week to spend a bit of time looking at what am I believing that is behind my busyness? And we looked at Mark chapter 1 and what it is that Jesus is believing healthily that drives his healthy, healthy business. And we were asking the Holy Spirit to show us to what degree... Are Jesus' healthy beliefs true of us? And I think many of you were saying God was really speaking to you about what is, what is good and healthy and what maybe is a little bit dark, even sinful in our hearts that we need to ask God to forgive us for and change us for so that we can step into Jesus' busyness in 2019. So when we look at our heart beliefs, then I think it's appropriate to step into what we do. It's what we believe drives what we do. So having looked at our heart beliefs, and we'll come full circle this morning, spend some time looking at that again, I think it's okay to go into what we can do. 
So this morning, be a bit more practical, if you like. What can we be doing, as well as believing, to step into Jesus' busyness, because he was busy, as opposed to uh, kind of, well, certainly me busyness, which is not always healthy. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1 again, if you have your Bibles, and I'm going to add a second passage to that, which is Luke chapter 10, and the story of Mary and Martha, which many of you will know, but you might not, and it starts at verse 38. So if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to flick between those two, but if you don't, the words are on the screen. So here we go, Mark chapter 1, Jesus is about to begin his ministry, and this is what happens in verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Wonderful, wonderful words. And that meant Jesus knew that he was loved before anything else. He knew he was loved. He then goes into his ministry and, and goes into the wilderness for the temptation and starts teaching in a synagogue and healing people. So jump forward to verse 29. And immediately, which is Mark's favorite word for how busy Jesus was, he uses it 40 times in his uh, gospel, immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon, it's Peter as well, same guy, his mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Busy day. And rising very early in the morning... While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Because he was dependent, we said last week. Not only he knows he's loved, he knows he's also dependent. So he's up, seeking the Father. Verse 36, and Simon and those who are with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus said to them, hmm, let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. So the third belief Jesus had, he knew that he was called. He was loved, he was dependent, he was called. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And Jesus' ministry continues accordingly, healing, preaching, announcing the kingdom of God, amazing things happening. And Luke picks up his account of, of all that Jesus was doing in chapter 10 and verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha, Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. It's the word of God, and it's good. So as well as showing us what we're believing, these passages can also show us what we might be doing. 
What might, we, what might we be doing differently this year to step into Jesus' busyness in 2019? I should say, I have not cracked this. I do not stand before you as somebody who knows what it is to be enjoying Jesus' busyness in the week. I really don't. I feel like I'm right at the kind of back of the queue in terms of working how this happens. Uh, even, even yesterday, and I don't you mind me saying, I said, Carol, have you managed to catch up with last, uh, last Sunday's sermon? Because she was out of the sermon. She replied, without thinking about it, no, I've been too busy. So we, we, are, we are learning along with you how to, how to do this. So here are my four things, or here are, the, here are the word of God's four things that I think we could do differently this year. Number one, prioritize the one thing. Prioritize the one thing. So in Luke 10, in that second passage, uh, Luke, uh, sorry, Jesus is enjoying the hospitality of Mary and Martha. And uh, Martha is busying herself with the preparations. And as you heard, she's getting pretty annoyed that her sister's not helping her. Her sister's kind of a contemplative personality, sat at Jesus' feet, listening to her teaching. And Martha's like, what's going on here? Tell her to help me, she says. And how does Jesus answer? Verse uh, 41, Martha, Martha. When Jesus says your name twice, you want to, you want to listen. <laughs> you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now, Jesus is not condemning Martha's busyness or her serving. He's not condemning the fact that she's probably a bit of a type A activist personality. What he's saying effectively is, Martha, you are engaged in all kinds of things. Lots of them are good things. You are busy. But Mary, your sister, has chosen the one thing. She's chosen the best thing. Time with me, time at my feet, developing her relationship with me, hearing my teaching, being changed and sanctified and developed by me. You're busy with many things. She's prioritized the one thing. Now, if you're a Christian and you want to be Jesus busy in 2019, which is secure, fruitful, focused, self-sacrificial, this is the one thing that I would exhort you to be doing this year. If you don't want to be manic busy, people-pleasing busy, stressed busy, but Jesus busy, there is one thing that you need to prioritize, and it's time with God in prayer, worship, and the Bible. It's not original. It's what preachers and pastors have been saying for 2,000 years. Willow Creek, a big church in America, did a huge survey recently to try and discover what are the things that are going to help us develop increasingly mature followers of Christ. Big consultancy firm spent loads of money, questioned surveys, and the conclusion was people will grow as followers of Christ when they pray, when they read their Bible, and they do so in the context of community. Full stop. And they paid a lot of money for that. It goes back to the same things time and time again. Now, pastors and churches have got into funny position sometimes and, and using the kind of devotional time in the morning, the time of God is a bit of a legalistic thing and we can feel a bit guilty if we're not doing it and a bit proud if we're doing it, bit proud if we're doing it well. But it's not about that. But it is about listening to Jesus who says you can be busy with loads of things. There's one thing for 2019 and it's sitting at my feet being shaped and taught and changed and sanctified and encouraged and strengthened by me. One thing. And Jesus does it himself. You notice that in Mark 1? He doesn't just say it to Martha. He's been doing it himself in Mark chapter 1. Now remember, his previous day, he is smashing out of the park. Super successful. He's also super tired. And if, for me, if things are going really well, sometimes the urgency of seeking time with God kind of fades. Am I right? 
Come on, just nod if it's just not just me. Thank you. And if I'm super tired as well, another reason. Jesus is super successful, super tired, and yet what does it say in verse 35? Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So over and above all the many things, the good things, teaching, healing, preaching, and so forth, caring for people, the one thing he himself must do is spend time with the Father and the Spirit. He made a priority of it. Jesus did. Why? Because he believed there was genuine joy to be found. That baptismal experience is what he was always enjoying. Total affirmation and love and joy amidst the Trinity. He believed it was where joy was to be found and he believed he needed to do it because he was fully human as well as fully God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that time at Jesus' feet, first thing in the day, is where joy is to be found? And actually, you need to do it because you can't do what God's called you to do otherwise. I um, recently started a bit of swimming. Uh, some of you know me, I do, I do love my sport, but injuries have not been kind to me. And so the kind of last thing that I seem to be left with is, is a, a bit of swimming. And I've never really swum before, sort of splashed around in uh, swimming pools and, and the sea and so forth. But just started swimming some, some lengths at the local um, swimming pool. And when I started last summer, I, I was pretty bad. Uh, genuinely, I could do a few lengths of, of breaststroke and about five before I was sort of gasping and spluttering. My front crawl was, uh, was absolutely terrible. I could genuinely not do more than length without gasping and spluttering. I once did that length, looked up, and I swear I saw the lifeguard kind of leaning forward <laughs> in sort of considerable concern. And uh, so I, I did three things. You might be surprised to know. I did three things. One, I asked for some help from people who knew a bit more than me including my wife, YouTube, and the very surprised guy next to me in the length in the lane next to me. Uh, if you don't talk to people on the tubes in London, you definitely don't talk to people in the swimming pool, I've discovered, especially in your speedos. Anyway, secondly, <laughs> I asked for help, and secondly, I started small. I didn't try and swim 100 lengths in one go. I did a little set of five, my little breaststroke, rest, another little set of five. I started small. And thirdly, I prioritized a time in the week to go. Tuesday lunchtime and a couple of other times. I prioritized the time in the week that I was going to go. I asked for help. I started small, and I prioritized a time or two in the week. You can probably see what I'm getting at. And here's what I found. I felt great afterwards. Never regretted going swimming. Always feel good afterwards. Always feel healthy and more flourishing. And secondly, I found that I'm getting a bit better. Some of you know I'm, I'm quite competitive, so maybe they, you wouldn't be surprised to some extent, but I'm, found I'm, I'm getting better. I now alternate breaststroke with front crawl, and I can do like 20 lengths of breaststroke and front crawl alternating. It's not very impressive, but it's a lot better than the half-drowning six months ago. So I found that I'm enjoying it, I'm looking forward to it, I'm getting better. What's my point? Here's my point. Almost everything in life, I think you'd agree, that's worthwhile takes time and effort and discipline, right? especially relationships. Relationships that are worthwhile require time and effort for them to flourish. And it is the same with our relationship with God, which for Christians, it, it, that's the one thing. And by definition, the relationship that we're exhorted to make the one thing does take time and effort and discipline. It does require a definitive decision to prioritize it with time. And sometimes it might feel a bit like hard work. It might feel like you're spluttering away in the pool and you're not quite sure whether you're gonna make it to the end. But if you do those three things, do those three things. Ask for help from people that are a bit further ahead or pray with people or find resources that are helpful. Start small, 
five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, whatever. And prioritize time each day. Block it out, put it in the diary. Ask for help, start small, prioritize time each day. If you want some help along those lines, um, I've just written a little devotional resource. It's a 30-day devotional resource, something for each day for a month, and it is based on um, the Spotlight series that we, that we did as a preaching series last summer where we looked at the attribute and characteristics of God. And so really this little resource uh, is just going to help you each day get to know God better. Item one in our vision statement is to know God. And I think this is, I don't claim to be the greatest author or writer, but I think it will help you because it's got scripture in it. It will help you to know God. Something for each day, some passages to read, something to respond and reflect on, something to remember and to press into God. And there's some copies at the back that you can take for, for free. Ask for help. Start small. Prioritize time each day. And when you do that, just to kind of stretch the swimming analogy out. When you exercise your spiritual muscles and your spiritual lungs, guess what? They start to get stronger. They start to get more competent. When you swim in the water of God's grace, when you swim in the water of the power of the word of God, when you're held up by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, I can stretch it as long as you want, You start to depend on it, you start to enjoy it, you start to look forward to it, you start to find you're getting stronger and more able and that you depend upon it. And actually, you start to find that other things that did fill that space, that you could make New Year's resolutions to do more of or less of, start to find their right place when you prioritize the one thing. Number one, prioritize the one thing. I've taken time over that, I'll be a bit quicker with with numbers two, three, and four, but it's the one thing and therefore it takes our priority. Number two, Order the many things. Prioritize the one thing, order the many things. So as Jesus demonstrated, he didn't just prioritize the one thing and that was it. He wasn't only in, in prayer and relationship with the Father. He was also actively busy, as that first passage demonstrates, with many things. Ultimately, loving God, loving people. Helping people find and love God. And I put it to you that Jesus, though he wouldn't have probably called them priorities, had some very clear priorities. If you read the gospel accounts, I think you'd agree that his main priorities, his many things after the one thing, were to preach the gospel, specifically in the area of Judea and Galilee and no further, to heal the sick, and to disciple 12 men. I think they were the three big rocks, if you want to use the language of Stephen Covey and highly effective people and so forth. They were the big rocks that he put in. Of course, all the way towards his ultimate priority of going to the cross, of defeating sin and death for us and rising again to apply it to us. His big rocks were preach the gospel in that specific area, heal the sick, disciple 12 men. What are yours this year? After the one thing, what are the the next set of big rocks, the main things that go in first and foremost? Now the good news is, if you're a Christian, those things are kind of in place for you to an extent from the Bible. So over and above the one thing, the Bible really helpfully gives us, I would argue, the next six big rocks to put into our, our day. Number one, these won't be on the screen, but you can uh, listen to them. Number one, in no particular order, so don't, don't get stressed about the wrong order and start emailing me, it's just the six things from the Bible. Number one, to love our families and our spouses and our, and our kids if we have them. Second big rock, to commit to attending regularly, serving sacrificially, and giving generously to our church family. Now just on that note, we as the leadership team often want to think about this issue of business. We do not want to be just throwing activities and requests at you all the time. 
So if you're not sure how to prioritize church life and you want to be part of King Church, I would say this. Attend regularly Sundays, be part of a life group, give generously, serve regularly. Sundays, life groups, giving, serving. Those are your four things, I think, from Scripture that are right at the heart of healthy church busyness. When it comes to what courses do I do and and whether I sponsor a compassion child and and do I join in with that particular event, they're all great things, but they're not the main things. Sundays, life groups, giving, serving. So, loving families, committing to church. Number three, work. The next big rock is whether we're in paid work or not. It's not about whether they're being paid. It's the work that we're called to. We're called to work hard and honestly and for the extension of the kingdom. Four, fourth big rock, loving those in poverty and in need and in oppression. Big rock in the Bible. Fifthly, investing in relationships outside of the church to help people explore Christ. Got to be a big rock. And sixthly, resting regularly and rhythmically and with joy. There's not much else about rest in this message which might be an indication of me, I don't know, but I've tried to just condense it to the key things I think God wants to say. But rest is a big part, obviously, of healthy business. So, if you agree with that biblical summary of the six big rocks, and if you don't, come and chat to me. Forget about the order. If you agree with those six, my question to you, if you're a follower of Christ and you want to be a follower of Christ, is does your diary and your bank account, do those two things reflect that you really do believe they're your six big rocks? Someone comes down from Mars, they don't know you, all they have access to is your diary, which let's assume is based in reality, and your bank statements. Would they take from that that your seven big rocks are number one, time with Jesus, time with the Father, and then the next six, families, church, work, loving the poor, and helping people explore Christ for the first time and rest? Or would they assume there were some other big rocks according to where your money goes and where your time goes? Second question. If there's the one main thing, and then there are kind of six next big rocks, what about the specificity? What are the specific things that God is calling you to? For example, where are you going to serve in church life? What does it mean for you to be a round peg and a round hole, as I often say? What does it mean for you to bring your gifts and skills and come and take a seat at the table and benefit us by your skills and gifts? Working for which company and for how long? Investing in which people this year? Living in which home and what kind of home? Giving away how much of your resources and finances? Those are specific things that have different answers for all of us. So how do you get that level of specificity? You go, okay, fine, I get it. The one thing of God and then the six things, the judgment of the world. But there are specific things that are going to really help you to be healthily busy. And what's the answer? How do you get that level of specificity? How do you know, like Jesus, I am called to preach the gospel in Judea and Galilee. So as soon as that stops happening, I've got to change, I've got to move. What's Jesus' answer? It's the same answer. John chapter 5 and verse 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. In other words, Jesus is saying, I just do what the Father's doing. Whatever the Father's doing, I join in with that. And if it's not for me, I don't. How does he know that? Because he spends time. He goes back to the one thing. Every day, he prioritizes time with the Father. He's reminded of how much he's loved, so he's secure. He's reminded of how dependent he is on God, so he's humble. 
and he's reminded of what he's called to do, so he's focused. So this is a great week to go into, quite apart from praying for things for the church and for the nation and for the world. It's a great week to take time, as Jason was helpfully saying, to really particularly seek and enjoy God and start to let him shape his calling for you on your life. Now this is dangerous talk from a church pastor because people come back to you after talks like this and say, you know what, I've been seeking God and I'm not doing that anymore. That's fine. We only want people to be joining in what the Father's doing. No one dead works. I'm convinced some of us are busy, including in the life of the church, probably including me, because we're doing specific things that God hasn't actually called us to do. And maybe we're not doing things that God has called us to do. And so you can have all kinds of self-help, like the five things to do before breakfast to get more efficient, or the 12 things to do after lunch to be less busy. The one thing, the one thing, will help all the things fall into place. Will you prioritize the one thing? So, prioritize the one thing. Order the many things. Number three, say no to some good things. Say no to some good things. Peter finds uh, Jesus doing the one thing in prayer. And you can imagine Peter, if you know Peter, he's pretty exuberant, usually thinks after he speaks, comes charging in. says, Jesus, what are you doing? Everyone's, everyone's looking for you. We're really busy, Jesus. People to please, stuff to do. And Jesus goes, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I forgot. Yes, where shall I go? Nope. Verse 37, Jesus says, eh, no. Nah. Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. He's saying no to good things, sick people who he could heal with a word. But he says, no, I'm, I'm not doing that. Actually, my calling is to move on and do something else. There's a, um, a sort of legendary management consultant, uh, an author called Peter Drucker in the tale of the last century, and he coined the term posteriorities. Posteriorities. In other words, he was saying, if you have priorities, and I'm saying you should because Jesus did, then by definition, you will have the opposite of, pro of priorities, posteriorities. And I'm saying you should have those as well because Jesus did. Things you make a point of deciding not to do. Now, Jesus was secure in the love of the Father, as I keep saying. He was dependent on the strength of the Father. And he, and, he was, and he knew his calling in the Father, and so therefore he was able to say no. Not in a rash way, not in a selfish way, secure in love, humble in dependence, focused in calling, he could say no to good things. Kevin DeYoung, in his great book, Crazy Busy, that I recommended last week, there's a few copies at the back, you can borrow them, bring them back, or pass them on to somebody else. Super, super helpful book. Only 100 pages long, he's managed to condense depth and express it concisely. Maybe more Christian authors could, could follow, his, uh, follow his lead. He says, you cannot tame busyness if you are not willing to kill some good things. You cannot tame busyness if you're not willing to kill some good things. Kind of sidebar, caveat, whichever, pit stop. This is absolutely not about selfishness. Saying no to good things is not about selfishness. It's not about creating a world that revolves around our needs. We say yes to what we like and no to what we don't. This is not what I'm saying. The Christian life is not a call to self-actualization, but to self-sacrifice. Christian life is not a call, which is what the modern world is calling you to, which is to find a way to generate the best version of yourself. The Christian life is actually find a way to lay your life down for others because of he who laid his life down for you. 
It's not a call to self-actualization. It's a call to self-sacrifice. We pour ourselves out in sacrifice and service of God and man because of the God-man who came and poured himself out for us all the way to the cross. But it is also a call to flourishing, to abundant life, which has nothing to do, surely, with manicness and hecticness and people-pleasing. And this morning is not ultimately about trying to aspire to be like Jesus. It's being reminded that if you are a Christian, simply through the same grace that Jason talked about, you are spiritually united to Jesus. He's done all that needs to be done. You're united to the only perfectly busy person ever lived. And so unity to Jesus means you are free to say yes to deep inconvenience and possibly even suffering in the service of God and people. And you're also free to say no to people pleasing and things you're not called to. It's both and. And also, saying no to things is a great way of reminding yourself that you are united to the Messiah, but you are not the Messiah. It's a great way of saying, you know what, I I could do this. It's a good thing. It's not a God thing for me. I don't know how it's going to get done. I don't know who's going to meet that need. But there's a Messiah already. That throne is taken and not by me. And I'm learning bit by bit to do that. Most days I go to bed thinking, I haven't got done. I wanted to get done. But there is a God who rules and reigns over all things and it's not me. If you can't say no to good things, I wonder whether, just to challenge you, whether subtly you've taken your own place on the throne that only Jesus should take. We're limit- he's made us limited and finite. He's made us to need sleep. And he's the one that never slumbers nor sleep. So just choosing to stop and to go to bed is not only a great way of prioritizing the one thing first thing in the morning, it's also a great way of reminding yourself, you are not God. So, prioritize the one thing. Order the many things. Say no to some good things. And last but not least, eradicate some distracting things. Prioritize the one thing. Order the many things. Say no to some good things. Eradicate distracting things. Back to the story of Mary and Martha. Luke 10. Mary sits at Jesus' feet, doesn't she? Prioritizing the one thing, as Jesus calls it. And in verse 40, uh, verse 40, Luke tells us that Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted with much serving. Verse 40, Luke 10. Distracted. Are we or are we not about the most distractible generation that's ever lived? Not least through technology. I want to just particularly focus on that one thing in these remaining moments. The distraction of technology. Now, I am not about to rage against machines. I'm not anti-technology. I love all the things my phone can do. Just last week, I booked a hotel, found some directions, transferred some money. All, it's amazing what we can now do as a result of these incredible people and their creativity. But there is a but, isn't there? And I mean, this is not contentious stuff. Everybody knows there is a but. There are huge downsides to the gift of technology. And what I think is particularly sobering now is that the very, very clever people in Silicon Valley are taking probably more time and care to protect their homes and their children specifically from the technology that they've invented. Because they are most acutely aware of the but of the downsides. The New York Times last year in October reported exactly this, how Silicon Valley employees are working very hard to reduce the impact of uh, their technology in their own homes. And I'll read a quote to you in a moment, but the, the, the article said this, that in the last year, a fleet 
Apparently that's the collective noun for Silicon Valley employees. A fleet of high-profile Silicon Valley defectors have been sounding alarms in increasingly dire terms about what these gadgets do to the human brain. John Lilly, who is the former CEO of Mozilla, said he tries to help his 13-year-old son understand that he is being manipulated by those who built the technology. And he says this, I try to tell him, this is, this is this guy speaking to his son, I try to tell him, somebody wrote code to make you feel this way. You know that, right? I'm trying to help him understand how things are made, the values that are going into things, and what people are doing to create that feeling. This is a guy who's been behind the technology. So it's amazing, can do amazing things. It's made me very rich. But saying, actually, I'm now realizing I need to protect my own child from much of what I've invented. Because it has a but. It has a downside. Let me give you three of the dangers that I think John Lilly is either explicitly or implicitly referring to. First of all, the addictive power, right? This guy and many others have, I'm not hammering them at all, but they have deliberately and are deliberately inserting addiction into your devices. You know that, right? It's done via intentional coding and very, very clever people. There's an addictive power put in there. So the question is, can you do without your phone? Can you do without your device? Who's mastering it or is it mastering you? I have a phone fast once a week. So Carol and I are very fortunate and blessed by you guys and that we have Mondays off. So on Sunday evening, my phone goes off. And generally, on a good day with a fair wind, it's not a rule, but I try and stick to it. It doesn't go back on until Tuesday morning after the one thing. Just to try and maintain my mastery over it and not its mastery over me. Parents, you're going to think I'm full on, but I, I mean this. Do you have some kind of social media policy in your home so there are parameters in which this gift is used and it operates. I'm sober by what the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. Peter says, this is the same Peter who busted into Jesus' prayer meeting. Whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. In other words, whatever masters you, you become a slave. So it's got addictive power. Secondly, it's a good thing. So these are the buts. Secondly, the concentration span that is constricting. So addictive power, less concentration. So we understand that the neurons in our brain are literally, have been literally rewired, scientists have proven, such that we are less able now to concentrate for a sustained period of time, aren't we? Because the way that our brain's been rewired by technology. And that has a real implication for those of us who are Christians. That's a big implication for the one thing. Because the one thing, the biggest relationship for us, time with the Father, involves time. And the people that I see growing most in God, loving God, enjoying God, exuding joy and peace, and humility and security, are the people that spend time with the Father, time at Jesus' feet. And we need to recognize that in this modern day culture, we are finding it harder and harder to enjoy silence to take time to listen to the Father. What is it you're doing, Father? I've got, I've got about two minutes. If you could download it pretty quick. He wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. And if, it, and if it's the best relationship in the world, if it's the ultimate relationship, the one that can ultimately only bring peace, joy, security, and purpose, then it is worth our time. And we need to recognize that devices are making it harder for us to concentrate and give it time. Intimacy requires time and peace, and effort. Addictive power, less concentration. Thirdly, the clutter of life. 
technology brings a certain degree of clutter, of noise, doesn't it? We are more distracted now by demands and ideas and, and issues and problems. We're now even more aware of how many problems there are in the world all the time. There's a certain, I don't know about you, but we live in a certain cluttered tunnel of noise and taps. There's an interesting author called William Powers who wrote a booklet called Hamlet's Blackberry. Interesting title. And he basically compares living in the digital age to being in a gigantic room with a billion people. Only that in this particular room, all the billion people can somehow get to you. Everyone's in close proximity to everyone else in this room. And at any moment, he says, it's as though someone, any one of the billion people can come up to you and tap you on the shoulder with a text or a tweet or a comment or a post or a message or a thread. And the point that William Powers makes, he's not a Christian guy, he's making a very pertinent point, I think, is that we both love the room and we hate the room. We want to be in the room, we want to be out of the room. We, want to, we do, I think, want to breathe the air of, of the undistracted uh, digital independence. And yet increasingly the room is all that we know. How can we walk out of the room when everybody else is staying in the room? What am I going to miss out on? And perhaps even more sobering, how will I pass the time and occupy my thoughts without the constant tap-tap of people in the room? So last week, I think in probably an act of providential, of God's providence, I lost my phone for four or five days. And in true man-look fashion, it turned out that my phone was in the first place that I looked in after four or five days. Anyway, I discovered, I think, what William Powers is getting at. There was a relief. I had, for a bit, I kind of escaped the, the tap, tap, tap of the digital age. And I genuinely believe I was more prayerful, more peaceful, and more productive as a result. And yet at the same time, there was a yearning to get back in the room. Why have I missed out on? So here's the thing. We are privileged to live in this time, I think. What technology can do for us the benefits to health and what it's done for democracy and information and the way in which it helps us live our lives. It's a remarkable time to live, but there is a but. And if we want to step into genuine Jesus busyness in 2019, focused, secure, self-sacrificial, fruitful, I put it to you, we may want to start 2019 by changing some of our habits, particularly digitally, so that the many things don't distract us from the one thing. So how do we respond? Well, in a moment, we're just going to respond in the time that we have left. We're just actually a time of conversation and prayer. So I'm conscious that I've kind of bombarded you a little bit with stuff. You might have felt like you haven't been tap-tap, but you've been punch-punched. And there were things last week as well that I think went deep into our souls and our hearts. So we have a time in a moment just to chat with each other and to pray with each other. If you're brand new and you don't know anybody, we don't know the person next to you, like it's... We're not forcing you to talk anyway. You don't want to. You just chat. You don't know the person. Offer to pray for them. Ask God what's, what is God saying for them. Those of you who've recently done the training for prayer and, and so forth, prayer ministry, can you please be asking God, what are you doing in the room? Father, what are you doing? What are you saying to people? And feel free to go and grab people and so forth. And in a minute, I'll put a slide up just to help us apply last week and this week. But can I just emphasize one thing? It's really important we don't leave this morning thinking, I must try really hard to be more like Jesus. That is not the gospel. The gospel says you can try as hard as you want and you will fall so far short of the glory of God. 
But there was a God who's come, who's lived and understood and dwelt in all the brokenness and fragility and ups and downs of human life and taken all of our sinful busyness and everything else upon himself, nailed it to the cross, gone to the tomb, been raised again and come out the other side to award us life. And to be a Christian is not to try and be more like Jesus. It's to be reminded that you are united to Jesus. The only person that ever lived truly healthily busy. So open yourselves up, please, to who you are in Christ. Don't try and try really hard. Discipline, time, effort, important. Most of all, remind yourself of who you are in Christ if you're a Christian. And if you're not yet a Christian, I'm putting putting to you that there is a way to live healthily, flourishing. There is a way to live without discontent and dissatisfaction and, and urge and trying to prove yourself. It's by acknowledging that we'll never prove ourselves. We'll never make it. We'll never get everything into the suitcase and it closed completely shut and smooth and nice. There will always be a nagging itch. And when you throw yourself on Jesus Christ, he throws himself on you in love and forgiveness and acceptance and he makes life work now and all the way through to eternity. Meaning that you spend eternity with him and not in the depth and darkness of hell. So come to him come to him. Here are the two, here are the two things I want you to, I'm going to help you to use. If you could have the last slide, Ryan, thank you so much. You're doing a brilliant job. Just to help you chat and pray in the, in the next eight minutes, maybe ten. We're not that busy after all. Remind yourself, what am I believing? If you weren't here last week, this might be a bit newer to you. Like Jesus, do I really care about people? Because if you do, you can't not be busy. Do I really believe that I'm loved? Do I really operate out of a total conviction that what the Father speaks over the Son is what he speaks over you once you are in Christ? Because if you're in Christ and united to Christ, then what the Father speaks over Christ is what he speaks over you, right? Do you operate out of a position of total security and love? Are you truly dependent? Do you go to God and say, I, I can't even do today without you? And do you believe you're called Do you believe you're kind of aimlessly trying to be a Christian? Or that God has preordained before the beginning of all time particular fruitful works for you to do? And then the other side, what will you do? What about prioritizing the one thing? Is that what God's saying to you? Just get time with me. What about ordering the many things? Are you letting lots of things get in the way of church and family and loving the poor and so forth? It's God saying, actually, for you, it's about saying no. And what about eradicating distracting things? Do we need to take our phones and either launch them into the Thames or <laughs> at least take some other definitive action? Okay, so we'll leave that, we'll leave that screen up. Maybe if, if Christy and, and Ellen and Hannah could just play for us, that would be great just to help us kind of have the atmosphere of of worship in the background and community and family. Like I say, if you're brand new and you didn't expect to be chatting to somebody about your about your life. That's all right. We're here for you. We're glad that you're here. Just do whatever you feel comfortable with. And for those of us that are part of the church family, let's get stuck in. Let's be honest. Let's be vulnerable. And let's speak the life and the word of God over each other in prophecy and prayer. Amen. Go.